0: And so in a world where it is cheaper to build and more expensive to distribute, the logical thing to do is to build more and that will lead Mm -hmm. to distribution costs coming down and things. And so my general orientation is to encourage people to think, what would it look like to go multi-product a little earlier and a little more aggressively than you might have been planning? But Mm you know that it's balanced with the realities of you can't always.
1: Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators podcast powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com. Here's your host, Brian Bush. On this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators podcast, my guest is Jack Altman, co-founder and CEO of Lattice, the HR platform that helps you make the most of your talent. Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dive into this one, but let's anchor the listeners just a little bit first. Tell us a little bit about your background and the journey that led you to co-found and obviously now lead Lattice. Sure.
0: So I started Lattice with my co-founder, Eric, in 2015. We've been working together at this company called Teespring, which was an e-commerce company. It grew super quickly. And we didn't even know exactly what it was we were building. We didn't know what the category really was, but we knew that there was this set of problems around company culture and employee management. And we just had a feel that this was something that was not just hard for us at Teespring, but something that was hard for a ton of companies. And so we kind of just set out to get working on it. And the first product that we built was an OKR tool. There was a lot of interest in that, but it didn't end up working. And so it was actually a couple of pivots into the first year that we ended up stumbling on the thing that really worked, which was performance reviews. And then we were able to build the company after that. But it was really just centered on this firsthand experience sense that as companies scale, if you don't put an infrastructure for management and feedback and listening to how employees are feeling about work and who's managing performance, that things go awry quickly. So that was the starting
1: impetus. You mentioned there are some great tools for very small companies, say under 50 employees, and then some great tools for enterprise. But it sounds like Lattice is trying to fit maybe in the middle as companies scale and grow. So I'm excited to come back to that. You've recently launched an exciting new product, partnered with Gusto. I think I saw a partnership with Greenhouse as well. So tell us a little bit about this new product and how specifically your product strategy is evolving.
0: Yeah, totally. And and I think it actually ties to that first thing you were prompting about the different stages of a company. So One of the things that we learned over the last eight years of doing Lattice, I'm sure you all have seen this at Gusto too, is that as a company grows and matures, a lot of its needs from an HR perspective just simply change. And there are different things that change for different reasons. So the payroll system that a company might need on day one or day a thousand might be different than the payroll system it needs when it's a thousand employees or 10,000 employees. The same thing happens with benefits where companies are changing between self-insured and sort of pooled models or wanting to use PEOs. The same thing happens, by the way, in performance management, where when you're eight people, you don't really need a performance management system. That's never been our customer base because why should you do a performance review when the seven people that you work with are all in the same room as you and you can just grab them? It's just not a natural model. And so there's like a bunch of ways that as the company changes, the needs evolve. The other thing we've learned is that as the HR team grows from zero people to one person, to three, to teams, The way that they can instrument tools and what they need to do really changes. And so this is where like an HRS has come into play, where a company gets to a certain size and maturity and it it gets to a place where it needs some dedicated system that can manage all of its employee data and connect to the rest of the HR tech stack and the ecosystem that it plays as part of. And for Lattice, by the way, we were like a really long time, extremely happy user of Gusto until I think we got to a certain size when you all said, hey, we're not really for you anymore on the payroll side. And that's like the natural evolution. And then you you get to some point where you say, okay, we need something really specific where, let's say, it's about 600, 550 people. And you basically say, okay, we need something for managing the employee record, doing analytics and reporting, managing employee onboarding and offboarding. You have all these like workflows that you need to do when a manager changes or when you need to set something up from an HR perspective. There's all this stuff around documents and the correct way to store all that stuff. And then you need certain security provisions. You might need to work with systems that are global in scale because your customers have gotten big, so they need certain ways that they do benefits and payroll. So anyway, that gets you to this place where you need an HRIS, which is like the sort of core record for an HR team. And we've long been interested in building this, but we really wanted to flesh out and get our talent management suite to the place that it is today, where we built out a real multi-product suite around talent management. But then we wanted to say, OK, if we can help our customers simplify their tech stack, connect the talent data that they have to the core employee data and play really nicely with the ecosystem, we think we can create a really compelling offering for people.
1: I appreciate that. Let's go just a little bit deeper. As you you said, you started with that core of performance management. Now the goal is to broaden. Where do you go next? What specifically makes up Lattice HRIS? Next is landing this
0: product in a really happy way for our customers. So to date, we've done Performance, engagement, career management, compensation, and now we're coming to market with this HRIS. I think for the medium term, what we want to do is just build a really high quality HRIS. There's a ton of product depth available inside that. We want to get that to a world class level for this really discrete part of the market—hundred to a thousand employees or so. And our plan is to actually partner. Like we want to partner with world class products on a bunch of different dimensions. Gusto is like a perfect example of an incredible payroll system. And then you mentioned Greenhouse at the beginning, they're an incredible ATS. And we want to build with an open ecosystem for a couple of reasons. One is I think a lot of these systems, if you really want to build them for scaled companies, there's a lot of complexity to them. And so companies that have chosen to be relatively specialized in an area, get to the corner cases and the depth and the stability that an organization of serious size needs, that's a big one. I also think it's really just like the customer friendly approach to say, we want to partner with the world. We want you as a customer to choose the systems that are right for you. And we want you to be able to have those be highly interoperable. We want you to be able to choose if this year, this one's right. Next year, that one's right. Companies are these changing entities. And so I think this is also the thing that's going to lead to the best customer experience, which of course we believe will be good for Lattice too.
1: So let's talk a little bit more there. There's a whole generation of new HR tools out there. And so that makes sense. The open ecosystem side let customers sync and share the data, but select in or opt into the tools that they're using or that they like best. There's the new rise of we're embedded payroll, but there are embedded benefits. There's a rise of embedded options, if you will, that allow you to build these features or functionality, but spend more time keeping your customers or your users within your ecosystem or within your platform. I'm curious if you see this as a change in the evolution of an open ecosystem strategy, or is it a challenge to that approach in your mind? I see it as an evolution, and here's the reason why.
0: I don't start from a lens of wanting to keep our customers anywhere in particular. I start from a lens of what is the best experience that can be delivered to a customer, and what are they going to most want? And when I think about it from that lens, products like Gusto's Embedded Payroll, that's really interesting because now for me as a customer, let's pretend it was embedded inside an HRIS, Lattice, but wherever. That allows me as a customer to potentially say, I've got world-class payroll. It's in the same panes of glass as these other HR products I use, HRS, but performance and all the rest. That's a really nice experience. I'm going to have fewer rollouts that I'm going to need to do. I'm going to have less logins. I'm going to have all this centralized stuff. And my tech stack has been sprawling. So that's great. So I think of that as an advantage. But to me, that doesn't mean that for you as Gusto Embed, that your customers of Gusto Embed couldn't also offer integrations with other high quality payroll Mm -hmm. products that maybe aren't going to be embedded, but you can still have something. And so if Gusto was working with a customer that was too large and at some point you as Gusto said, hey, we're really trying to serve a smaller market company. This is a real enterprise now. Why don't you use ADP? Then that H R S partner that embedded your product could also be saying, hey, we don't have an embed with that product, but we might have an integration. And so to me, that mindset of we're going to create the best possible version and the most possible options for customers, that to me is the dominant concept. And so I don't see embed as a challenge to that. I see it as in
1: support of better options for customers and more Mm -hmm. choices. So maybe to follow on that then, you've started with an integration with Gusto and presumably with integrations with other payroll providers. Do you think that, A, the goal is, let's start with integrations, let's see where there's heat, and then we can pick you know where we have options, pick the companies we would go and actually embed in the Lattice HRIS, take that next step from a user experience standpoint? Or do you think you go in already knowing like, hey... The goal is to have certain options within a, a Lattice HRIS from the get-go. It's just a matter of time until we get there. I see it as trying
0: to give our the most number of our customers the integrations that matter most to them. And one of the reasons why starting with Gusto is one of our partners is we have so many happy customers shared with Gusto. And so we listen to our customer. We listen to the sort of data that we have. We look at that and we kind of work our way through the list and we say, here's the, the integrations that are going to be most important to us. And I think we'll continue with that mindset, but I'm not going into this with some idea that the end state needs to look a particular way. Yeah. My view is basically just that it makes a ton of sense in the mid-market for a talent suite and an HRIS to live together, that Lattice has the capabilities and the ecosystem positioning to do that in an effective way. And then I know that the most important integrations there are gonna be things like payroll, benefits, ATS, a few others. And so let's give our customers integrations in the way they ask for from us to the most popular products in each of those. So I, I think I kind of work to it from that lens rather than having some particular end state that I want.
1: So I'm also curious on the data side of this, would bringing the data and analytics piece, just the opportunity to unite much of this disparate data. You've talked about, hey, sales has their sales force, so on and so forth. It seems like there's the opportunity, like you said, especially in the mid-market, to just unite the HR stack data. Maybe talk to us a little bit about specifically what that means and does that change or add any nuance what you just mentioned about the goal here is to provide a great user experience and in this case, that might mean better data and analytics for the HR lead.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about
1: this data concept.
0: Anybody who's sat in enough exact meetings, you can feel how well-armed your sales or marketing or finance or engineering leaders will show up to some of those meetings with the nuance of data that they get. Because they have these systems that have been like built for long periods of time that integrate with the whole world. And so if you're the head of sales, supported by your sales ops leader, are able to answer incredible depths of questions in these nuanced and cross interdisciplinary ways. And I think that's like the power that is possible in HR that hasn't been unleashed yet. An example that I've thought about for a long time that is hard to do today would be things like connecting the interview process to the performance results down the line. And which of my hiring managers proved to over time be good predictors of future success? Or questions like, which of my top performers are less engaged or underpaid? Or what's the relationship between the vacations people are taking or the onboarding experience that people got with how highly engaged they are, how well their performance goes, all these other sorts of things. And some of those will lead to real insights in a way that I think we all intuitively believe must exist, but it's really hard to pull that data together. And the truth is, those are just like examples off the top of my head, but there's going to be a whole world of stuff. This is the most important resource at a company is your people. This data exists. It's not like it's it's unavailable. It just hasn't been pulled together. And so to me, over time, I think not just with our own applications and talent space, but with all the partners that we're going to have, I think there's going to be some really interesting stuff that will empower HR leaders in a way they haven't been before.
1: I say this as a happy Lattice user today, although I don't see the dashboard may be meant for the HR lead. I'm curious if you think, do the enterprise type tools do that well today? Are there sort of enterprise grade tools that bring together that data in a really meaningful way? And it's just a question of, hey, how do we unlock this for the mid-market companies? Or do you think that this is actually, you have to break new ground in terms of making these data accessible, actionable for, like you said, not just the HR lead, but for cross-functional teams.
0: I, it's probably a bit of both. I think there are some quality tools out there, particularly enterprise, but different, uh, an important difference in the enterprise and the mid-market is in the enterprise, the team that you have internally to work through that stuff is really different than the team that you are going to have at a 200 person company. So the 10,000 person company is just gonna be staffed in a different way from people ops, their data team, the projects that they're able to run internally are just gonna look really different. And so when you think about the lens of what needs to be true for 600 or 300 person company or a 100 person company, and you think about what's the team that's gonna exist there, that then informs the kind of software that you're gonna need for them just based on what their capabilities are. So it's not that I don't think it exists, I definitely think it could all be better. But I think that the more important bit here is that it's going to need to be thought of in a different way for companies that don't have the internal teams to go do a lot of that manual
1: work. I think that's fascinating, Jack. And it dovetails, I saw one other bit. You've taken issue with folks calling HR squishy in the past. And I've always found this really interesting. Now, granted, I've worked in tech for a long time. And I think many of us working in tech understand that there's just such a premium on talent, on finding good talent, on nurturing good talent. But I'm curious, you have a podcast, you talk to a lot of people leaders. This is the All Hands podcast. I'm curious if you see trends or if that view of talent is evolving, changing, or just looks very different, say outside the tech bubble a little bit. And maybe to put a question on it, like how do you see the definition of good HR leaders changing and especially between, say, big enterprises, tech, or traditional SMBs?
0: I would also start by saying a little bit of squish is not a terrible thing. In Mm. fact, I think that part of what makes ours special is that it is so deeply human and that it is taking into account these things that you can't put in a spreadsheet. And it's taking the experience and sensibility of HR professionals to marry up the data with the earned intuition that's built over a lot of time working with and studying and observing people. So I don't think it's all a bad thing, but I do think that there's a reputation where HR is really looked at as a liberal art versus sales and engineering are looked at as more like STEM or sciences. And I think that is not wholly true. I think there's a lot of liberal arts in engineering and sales. I think there's a lot of STEM in HR. And I think one of the reasons that the reputation has existed is related to the tooling. And I think that when you're not equipped to have data behind you on these much more nuanced insights beyond just here's how many people we employ, here's how much we're spending, here's the turnover rates, here's the managers, et cetera. But the more nuanced level of information, I think that's where we can help the HR profession marry both sides of what they do. So I think that's what I get excited about. And that's why I want HR to not lose the human element, but I want people to understand that in its highest form, HR has real science behind it too.
1: Yep. I hear you saying, hey, let's bring together the data in a meaningful way, but not let that obscure the fact that this is still a deeply human and relational endeavor. Definitely. Jack, in addition to your work leading Lattice, you advise and invest in a number of startups. These days, we see a trend around the rise of vertical SaaS, so very specific purpose-built platforms. I'm curious how you think about or even advise founders on horizontal versus vertical plays if you were a startup today.
0: Yeah, totally. And so generally, just for listeners, people mean different things when they say horizontal or vertical, but a lot of times what people are talking about is like, what industry are you serving? And so a horizontal SaaS company is one that can serve tons and tons of kinds of industries versus a vertical would be one that is really focused on finance or pharma or whatever. So my experience is both can work. In general, I think what you're usually up against is that the TAM in horizontal is in theory bigger because you're covering many more sorts of companies. But the vertical software categories we've learned can have these extremely big addressable markets too. And there's a lot of advantages to working in a vertical where you really get to know a customer in a different way. You build a product that is tailor made to a set of needs that are hyper specific and focused for a repeatable smaller Set of customers and so it depends on the vertical and it depends on what the solution is but there are lots of great examples in all categories where a vertical software player is able to scale to hundreds of millions or more of revenue and my experience personally has been that it is as a rule of thumb a lot of those vertical companies do end up needing to make it up into the enterprise more than a horizontal company so A company like Gusto, which tends to serve smaller businesses, can serve a huge range of industries, right? Like Gusto's customers are massive, and it turns out that there's a lot of small companies in the world. And so Gusto's Mm -hmm. market is, for all intents and purposes, infinite relative to what the growth you need would be versus a company that serves, let's say, pharma. Generally, most pharma companies are big, but also because you're not going to be serving as many different companies out there. You more often need some plan to make it up to the much larger contracts if you want the revenue to keep scaling once you're in the tens of millions of revenue and beyond. So there might be a few nuances like that, but I think you can build a great business in either fashion.
1: Thanks for everything you shared today. I want to go back to your experience with the launch of Lattice HRIS. I'm sure many of those founders and and early teams that you work with just like you, they're starting with a specific pain, but they're hoping to build multi-product and hoping to get a lot bigger. So as you think about product strategy and specifically growing the feature set, how do you advise some of those founders about moving to that multi-product offering in order to maintain or continue growth? Yeah,
0: it's a great question. And it is one of the key strategic questions for any software company, really. And you know, Gusto, which obviously started in payroll, that does a ton of stuff and does it all at a really high level. And that's something that you all have been able to earn over time as you got bigger and then you get more resources, you're able to raise more money, you get a bigger team, you could do more things at once. And so on one hand, you have that going, you have this dynamic where launching hard products becomes easier as your company grows. And so like for Lattice to do this over the last 12, 18 months has been a lot easier slash maybe it actually wouldn't have even been doable if we had tried four years ago. You have that on one hand. With on the other hand, sometimes to get the growth at all, you need to be multi-product because one of your key differentiators as a company is going to be the fact that you're consolidating tools, that your data is married together inside these different products that previously you had to get different vendors for, that your pricing is going to become more attractive. There's all these reasons why it's a benefit to a company. So there's no one right answer. A lot of it's going to depend on a few factors. How complicated is your first product? If you're launching a really gnarly, challenging first product, you might have to wait longer to build your next one because so much energy has to go into the first. The second is how long are the legs of your first product? Meaning, does your first product have the depth in the market to take you to a big enough company where you're going to be able to just ride off that first product's high for a very long time and you can afford to delay Uh, your second product bets. And then there'll be other considerations too, like competitive dynamics. What's happening around you? What are customers asking you for? Uh, What are the alternatives? And are they high quality alternatives that do the things that you'd love to do in a perfect world that are hard to pull off? Generally speaking, I'm a believer that more companies should be more multi product than they are. I think we live in a general time in the world when software is getting easier and cheaper to build than ever, and it's higher quality than ever. And go-to-market costs are actually becoming higher than they've been in the past because there's so much competition. There's been a huge influx of venture over time, and it's just a noisy market. And so in a world where it is cheaper to build and more expensive to distribute, The sort of logical thing to do is to build more, and that will lead Mm -hmm. to distribution costs coming down and things. My general orientation is to encourage people to think, what would it look like to go multi-product a little earlier and a little more aggressively than you might have been planning? But Mm -hmm. know that
1: it's balanced with the realities of you can't always. I was going to say, do you think you're a little bit at odds with some of the classic VC advice at that time around focus?
0: A little bit, yeah. I got this really interesting advice when Lattice was in YC from a successful previous YC founder. He met us. He didn't end up investing, but he met us early and was like, you're going to hear advice a ton while you guys are in YC. That's basically saying, do one thing and do it well. And I'm just telling you, you're in HR. The game is to do everything decently. Hmm. And I don't quite agree with that. But the thrust of what he was saying was pointing in a direction that had truth to it. And so I think it is, I say that story to say that it's not every single category where multiproduct is the right answer, but I think more and more categories, it is becoming true for a lot of these reasons we've talked about. And I think it will, if anything, it will continue to become more true as time goes on with at least the current dynamics I see at play. So maybe it's a little counter-narrative. There are a lot of other investors out there who I think believe that this is a structure to see in the world. So I I think we'll see a lot of it.
1: And I just want to reiterate, I love that framework of, hey, it's really about these strategic questions. How complex is that first product? Kind of what's the the scope or the path you said, the legs that it has? And then sure, there are some other ones, competitive dynamics and so forth. That seems like a very elegant way. If you can boil it down to those strategic questions, you have a much better sense of which one to pick, so to speak. Jack, thank you for your time today. Again, we're very excited to see the launch of, a- of Lattice HRIS. We're very excited that Gusto is a partner and we will get to be a part of this journey. Yeah, it's the same feelings back. We feel really lucky to be able to partner with you all. And yeah, I look forward to putting this in people's hands uh, as quickly as we can. Fantastic. Jack, thank you for sharing some time and some advice with uh, our listeners out there today. Thanks. Tom. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. We'll make sure to link to any resources that were mentioned in today's show in the show notes. Please also feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast or to connect with the Gusto Embedded team via LinkedIn. In particular, we'd love to hear any future guests you'd like us to have on the show. Thanks again for listening and keep a lookout for the next episode.